Hi, folks, and welcome to the Sooner Asian Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jake Geis. Joining me on the show today is Dwayne Beck, Manager Emeritus from the Dakota Lakes Research Farm. Thank you for being here today, Dwayne. Thank you for having me. So here's the first question that our listening audience probably has when I say Dakota Lakes Research Farm. What is the research farm, and what's the history behind this research farm? Well, Dakota Lakes is somewhat unique because it's owned by farmers, and the farm corporation's a 501c3 not-for-profit farm corporation and, and designed to do research and education. But it's owned by farmers, wasn't put together by and owned by any government agency, which makes our approach a, a little bit different. It came about in the 1980s when we were having some financial difficulties, just came out of the 70s. Everybody was gung-ho, ag and trying to expand everything. And a bunch of irrigation went in along the Missouri River uh, with pivots because pivots just kind of hit the scene in the 70s, and especially the, the ones with electric drives that could climb around on hills. And so a lot of the guys out here decided to irrigate. Before that, the planned irrigation was all over in the Jim River Valley, where they're going to take water from here over there and water the Lake Dakota Plain there, the Lacustrian Lake Dakota Plain around Aberdeen and Huron and things. And these guys out here start developing their own, and then the 80s hit. Uh, A lot of trauma with high interest rates and such, and they were having a lot of difficulty with managing the runoff under the irrigators here. And we started working on that. I was a graduate student in Daryl DeBoer. Uh, he was a professor type in ag engineering, and he and I got together and started trying to suss out some answers on the runoff stuff. And the farmers came to a field day one day, and we went out for steaks. And afterwards, they decided they needed a research farm and decided they should own it, which was a great choice. And that started it. It took us until 1990 to actually have a facility, which we got it with the help of Governor Mickelson, uh, threw a little money into the pot and, and from his future fund. Some of the commodity groups, corn and soybeans and wheat and crop improvement threw a little money into the thing. And we had an operating farm in 1990. Okay. So where's the farm located at? Well, we're 17 miles southeast of Pier on Highway 34. Uh, right along the Missouri River. And it's, like I said, it's owned by the farmers. It's, we operate uh, in cooperation with South Dakota State University. So SDSU runs the research enterprise. So the small scale component research, the variety testing and some of the, you know, a lot of those type of things are done by staff from SDSU that come out and do stuff here. And then there's a lot of systems larger scale systems research that's actually done through the efforts of the corporation. Now that they got the research farm together in the 90s, what was the mission that the corporation decided to have, and is that mission still the same today? The mission hasn't really changed, and you can go to our website, thecolakes.com, and it's there, but it's it basically deals with developing farming systems. Uh, we had broadened the perspective quite a bit by the time we started from being just strictly irrigation, but part broaden this perspective to have systems that kind of worked in concert with natural systems to maximize efficiencies uh, of these ecosystem processes and to increase our sustainability and and our profitability long term. And, And I think it's been very successful at doing that. 
Okay, well, it's really interesting. I mean, you've kind of have a unique enterprise there with it being farmer owned, like you said, rather than a government entity. And and so I suppose that probably dictates a little bit more of, of what's being studied there as opposed to maybe a strictly university system. Yeah, well, what it does is it gives us a little longer term perspective. And I think in the old days, several decades probably is when it started to change, but there used to be a fairly long-term perspective on the research programs in the universities, but they changed how they fund things on the federal side. And it's now very short-term, like maybe three-year type studies. And farmers really need stuff that's longer term. We just had a strategic planning session last week. And one of the things we do is try to extend that time frame and say, how if we do things this way, what's it going to look like? 100 years or 200 years or 600 years. And um, whereas the university has to think, and a lot of businesses, corporate businesses anyway, that have stockholders, they tend to think in short-term years, not decades. And so that's the difference in the perspective. Like if, if we do this, what happens? And, and some of that perspective comes from where we came from, is most of the citizens here have some relationship to European ancestors. And they came here because they had exhausted the resources in Europe and the land was degraded and they had to go somewhere and find new land. And they came to the U.S. and did that. And then, well, we have to move west because we degraded this land. And in fact, our property, uh, Lewis walked right across the edge of our property in 1803 or 1804 when he was coming up the river. So, you know, what we've only been here farming in this area a little over 100 years, and our, we already had degraded it pretty badly by the time Dakota Lakes got started. And so, I, you know, I think we've been successful because we brought in the no-till as a tool and diverse rotations as a tool. And the, and the farmers in this central part of South Dakota, the what I call the North Central, Central, and South Central Crop Reporting Districts, basically from oh, Highway 37 to Highway 81. If you just look at that area in between, we've, we've increased the productivity by $1.6 billion a year as compared to 1986. We did that comparison for the border regions a few years ago. It's a very different philosophy, as you said, the long-term outlook, which unfortunately gets bypassed so much in today's society in, in so many different aspects. And it's good to hear of an entity holding on to that. The right answer environmentally or systems-wise today is the right answer economically in the long run. And We tend to try to go for short-term gains, but we forget about the long-term. What does that do to us long-term? And even the, the dams on the Missouri River... If we would have probably managed the ecosystem better in the period between statehood and the 1930s, we may not have needed those dams to stop the flooding downriver someplace. But nobody thinks about that anymore. A lot of the money we spend on flood control and those kind of things, if the ecosystem was functioning better, that wouldn't be an issue. You know, today's news event is flooding in eastern Australia, which they have their ecosystem really badly screwed up there in terms of taking in water and also uh, some other things. But, you know, they've taken down all the trees and do a lot of intensive farming. And then all of a sudden they just kind of lose the ability of that land to take in water. It becomes water repellent. I've, I've been there and seen that. And, and now if, if your fields all run lots of water off and you get lots of flooding. 
And unfortunately, too, they suffer from a lot of drought, too, in the years when it isn't flooding. Yeah, so you you have this lack of resiliency. And I, you know, I think the reason we've increased profitability so much is we went from doing wheat and summer fallow with tillage, which was a predominant thing out, out here in the central part of the state, to where they grow a crop every year. And half of those crops, at least, are high water use crops like sunflowers and corn and milo and those kind of things so they're just better using that resource like the native prairie never really wasted any water and it never let nutrients slip away from it and those kind of things so that's what we we kind of use that as our model is if we can do that good a job of cycling the residues and managing the water then we're happy so maybe let's pivot a little bit and talk about more of the operations of the farm itself how big of a spread does this farm cover well we have we're small we have a thousand acres or so which is big for a research farm we have a bit of that that's still irrigated because it was kind of started by irrigation people and pump out of the missouri river as of right now so we have two quarters that are have irrigation capability on them and the rest of the land is dry land we use this all for first of all for places that they put small plot research so the winter wheat variety development and trials and everything occur there we have oats genetic improvement stuff going on there and those kind of things testing sorghums and and other types of crops we did a lot of work in the past and still do with pulse crops peas lentils chickpeas that's we're the guys that brought those in as rotational crops. We we're doing quite a bit of work with oilseed crops, uh, canola, flax, uh, for instance. Uh, it looks like the new manager is going to do some stuff with sunflowers. We haven't done as much with sunflowers over the years as, as some people would like, but we, we're challenged with birds as close as we are to the river. So at least in the main farm, it's hard to do sunflower. And then we're doing a lot of stuff like livestock integration now because we think we need to have livestock in the operation. So we have a cow-calf herd where we take some of the animals all the way to harvest. All that's done in the field. We don't have any lots of any sort. We're doing that all in the field or on some perennial pastures, but they never have a permanent place to go. They're constantly moving. And we want to automate that to the point where we can hopefully keep the herd pretty much together with using automatic feeders to feed some of the animals differently that are going to be harvested for meat. So it's not really a grass-fed type thing. It's more of a field finish, but they never really get stuck in a single spot for any period of time. So with all these things going on, I'm sure you have a bit of a staff that works at this facility? Right now, we're, we got more staff than we've had in a lot of years, but we have four full-time people, technical people, so... So one of those is a secretary and three technicians. And we have Cody Zilberberg. He's hired as a consultant that works on the livestock integration thing. And then uh, Sam Ireland right now is the, the manager. And I'm lurking around for a while to make sure the reins get passed off. So, But I don't really do any work. I just, I just lurk, I guess. <laughs> well, there's one way to put it. Now, does the farm take visitors and tours during the year? Yeah, we have our annual field day. Oh, that's open to everybody is the last Thursday in June. It's always the last Thursday in June, so you can go and put it on your calendar. It starts in like three o'clock in the afternoon. Prior to the pandemic, we probably averaged a couple thousand people a year that came through, and we're starting to build that back up again. Uh, some of these are relatively large groups from other places, you know, Montana or 
Alberta or this past year, we had a group from Denmark. So that kind of thing happens. Over the years, we've had a lot of people from South America, for instance, and then Australia as well. So, and then we have, we try to get smaller groups, 10, 15 people from an area that are interested in what we're doing to come someday when we're not having other groups and we can show them around. And at times it'll be one or two people, a husband and wife or something that are really intrigued by something and and we've been able to take a couple hours for them and show them around when necessary because you never know those individuals sometimes those are the key for somebody starting the right thing someplace else so tell you what what do you think this farm's going to look like in the future i know that you've entered a role where you're passing off the baton to the next generation but what do you personally see that things are going to look like for the future of the research farm well, I hope they continue to go on the path that we're on because what we've gotten to right now is we've probably got to the point where we've stopped the bleeding. We don't have the dirt blowing, water washing, that kind of stuff going on. And we have pretty diverse rotations in the area, not probably as diverse as we'd like to see them. I'm hoping down the road we'll see that probably the development of the livestock enterprise more and think we're going to probably have to to start doing some perennial sequences where we throw a perennial in now and then to get the pH thing fixed or or whatever. Instead of hauling in lime, we start mining the stuff from three foot down. We have a lot of lime in our soils, and if the pHs are going down, it's because we, we haven't managed that nutrient cycle very well. And we're going to be energy neutral. I mean, we've got it written on the board. We're going to be energy fossil fuel fossil fuel neutral by 2026 so that's a big challenge for farming is energy use right now we've a lot of the progress we've made is associated with a significant energy use so we're trying to divorce ourselves from that and we've gone a long ways down that road this summer we'll be building our solar array and we know how big it has to be to handle the needs of our building our building complex with our offices and the shop and stuff we hope maybe tie in the grain bins that's going to be fleshed out we're getting an electric pickup and how do you handle it? I mean, that, that's why it says research on the gate. If we make this goal, to, all of us are going to have to do it eventually to get disconnected from fossil fuels. How are we going to do it? And we don't know the answers because that's why we're there. Well, it sounds like a pretty ambitious set of goals, but it's very cool that you guys are tackling them. Well, somebody has to do it and it, ha- it really needs to be somebody that has skin in the game. And that's why the farmers are there. They do it because they need to have those answers, and it's it's not necessarily a product you buy and, and put out there, right? It's something that's kind of a whole systems thing. Yeah, and it's not exactly like people do research on a system. They do research on the product, but for the system, that's kind of up to a research organization like this to be able to flesh out. Yeah, somebody can help us build a better widget to put in there, and that's in the university does a really good job of that, of, you know, figure, here's a problem we have and how can we solve that? And it's just in this part of the system, we're having that problem. But if we don't get that solved, it's kind of screws up the whole work. So that's really how, how those two work together. We've got a big eye on long-term sustainability because we're right along the river. So we're doing a lot of work right now with really reducing phosphorus use. And we've been fairly successful with that, actually, taking the PUs way down. Yeah, and you think about the savings because phosphorus isn't exactly something they give away. Yeah, we buy a little bit of it, you know, because we ship stuff out. But the idea is to try to cycle it more. And then we have a lot of total phosphorus in South Dakota in most places. It just isn't very available unless you have the right biology. And and so we've kind of figured out how to, to develop that biology. 
so that that one's going to be kind of exciting we probably got another year before we can jump up and down about it but we think we've got it pretty well nailed so if people have more questions where can they find out more about the dakota lakes research farm well, they're welcome to come visit. They can just get on our website, dakotalakes.com, and contact the manager. There's a place where you can email the manager and we'll tell you to set something up. Well, I'll tell you what, Dwayne, this is super cool. Thank you very much for taking the time to stop by the podcast and explain all this to our listening audience. Well, thanks for having us. And thank you very much to our listening audience. Y'all take care, folks. 